Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park to all of you listeners this is Boward Woward II also known as former childhood phenom rapper Little Bow Wow and you're listening to Affirmative Murder the hottest true crime podcast in these streets word to your mothers Hello and welcome to Affirmative Murder, the Equal Opportunity Murder Podcast. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. What's up? Fran, I'm calling it now. I might uh, jinx the East Coast. Summer's over, man. Summer's over. Give it up. We did it. We made it through. It's been 77 degrees for the last, like, three days. It's done, man. We made it. And I think we should all pat ourselves on the back. It's been a perfect week, but nah. I think it's done, man. It's over with, and I'm calling it now, and I called it, and it's finished. However, just because it's not summer heat going on here doesn't mean that summer madness is not going on. Last night in Atlanta, Georgia, at the end of the On The Run Tour Part 2, Part 2, Jay-Z and Beyonce out there living their best lives, performing for the masses at stadiums. Somebody tried to rush the stage, and I don't even do what? I don't even know do what, Mm -hmm. but just jumped the stage and tried to get to Beyonce. Mm-hmm. They were apprehended, but I just uh, brought up, I wanted to have a conversation about who is a person that you admire that much that you would rush the stage and to do what? I put, I posed that question to you. That's easy. LeBron James. LeBron wow. James. Yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair. And then what would you do when you get to him? You just want to give him props? You want to show love? Take a selfie? Oh, you wouldn't even. You need to have a more realistic uh, plan to like when you get there. You just want to go, LeBron. I'm not crazy, man. I just think you're the like because you're not gonna get a phone out. Go to phone mode, camera mode. I can like video it. it. I can video, video myself you running getting to him. Beat by cops and, and uh, security guards. Just like doing like this, running like with the camera behind. <laughs> LeBron, yeah. LeBron, man, you're, you're bad. Oh, and then you get hit over the and head with the just, billy the club. Video cuts off. Okay, yeah, no, that that was actually a, a solid answer. <laughs> I have no, yeah, no, same. Picture? Yeah, got no. a video. Yeah, yeah, and that would go viral for sure. <laughs> you getting beat up by cops uh, while LeBron is, like, trying to hide his face because, you know, he's very elusive. He, he has, like, uh, seven people kind of, like, just surround him and he uh, disappears. That guy, man, he just moves like an assassin. It's like a president, man, how a yeah. president should be. Yeah. Um, For me, let's see. If I had to pick one person... 
to rush the stage, it it would be Oprah Winfrey. Mm. It would be Oprah Winfrey. Why? Well, here's my plan. If I ever get the opportunity, and I probably shouldn't say it on mic, but we're we're all family here, so I'm gonna be honest. If I ever got the opportunity to get in Oprah's space, I would try to. All right, folks, so we're experiencing some technical difficulties. And by technical difficulties, I mean I came up with a really good plan right here. And I'm not sure I want to share that with the world just in case I fall on hard times and I decide to execute upon it. So uh, we're going to just, you know, walk us through this. And uh, how is everybody doing out there? Good? All right, great. Well, uh, this is almost done and this plan never happened. And you will tell Oprah nothing of this. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. You guys enjoy the rest of the podcast. Good luck so your that. plan is more like from like this idolization and this love mm-hmm. aspect, and mine is more of like trying to uh, uh, get rich, push for, yeah, push for my own cause <laughs> and better my life. Yeah, you know. So that's the way I would go. Uh, that 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 is definitely the person that I would uh, attack. But you know, whatever that person was doing to get to Bay and Jay, they failed, and Bay and Jay are a okay. And we're gonna move on from that subject because I got a little housekeeping that I wanted to get uh get into before we you know get into everything. Mm. Last week we talked about the Chris Watts story, which I don't know if you um, got more updated on, but I said some things last week that were ill informed because I you know the story was still kind of fresh. So Chris Watts's family uh, was not discovered in the house. His wife Shannon and their two children, and the you know she was pregnant with a child. Mm-hmm. They weren't found in the house. They were found at his job. Yeah, he worked at an oil rig, and mm-hmm. there was a shallow grave next to an oil next to an oil container. Mm-hmm. That, if I'm not mistaken, his wife was buried, and then the kids he threw in the oil. So, um, I was wrong about that. Um, and now it is believed his his uh, next date to be in court isn't until November, and it is believed that his defense is going to be that his wife killed his children, mm-hmm. and then he killed her mm-hmm. in in just anger, which is gross. But I guess there's a percentage of a chance that it's true. But he lied on camera for eight minutes and mm-hmm. looked like a psychopath, like in the aftermath of seeing that interview. I don't. I don't believe anything that he says. No. So is there a possibility that that's true? Sure. Why not? Why not? Nothing's a 0% chance, mm. you know? So I'll give him a, I'll give him a 10% chance just to be nice, which I shouldn't be nice because he's a piece of shit. But let's just say there's a 10% chance that he was walking around the house and then saw on the baby monitor that his wife, Shannon killed their two kids. Then he goes into the room and he kills her. Why would you dispose of all the bodies? So I don't think that that's what happened. And, you know, I hope he gets everything that he deserves. But I do think that's the defense that he's going to try to use in court when his, when his day comes to be in court, which is pretty gross. And he's a piece of shit. They say um, he had a mistress or something. They yeah, they said that, that that's that's also like that's speculation that hasn't come from his mouth. But it is believed that he killed his family so that he could go start a new life with his the woman that he was having an affair with at his job, mm. which is like pretty dumb, you know, to yeah, think that you get away with killing three people. And and then that would be, Oh, now just go start a new life. Mm. Like, I don't know. You have to be pretty fucked up mentally to think that's a good idea. So, you know, I mean, I have no sympathy for Chris Watts. He killed his whole family. And I, I bet, 
the real push o- the real push over the top was that he wanted out of the marriage and that there was another kid on the way. And it was like, oh no, well, yeah, mm-hmm. my my woman that I want to be with, she isn't gonna be happy about. I've been still having sex with my wife and mm-hmm. that she's pregnant now. That's not gonna work. So I'll kill her. But if I kill her, you know, then I'm just stuck with these kids. Well, then I'll just kill the kids too. And it's like a fresh start. Everything's anew. Mm-hmm. I also believe I said, I didn't really say how they, you know, found the bodies or whatever. He you said confessed. he found them in the house. Yeah, I said That's they found them like, in the why house. Why were they in the house? And like I, yeah, exactly. So no, I was that was wrong. He confessed and then took them to his job where the bodies were. Put it on social media. People start picking, just start picking at it like, oh, he doesn't have his his uh his wedding band. Yeah, on. that's all. You can do that all that the two days after mm-hmm. you know what really happened. But if you watch that video, I didn't. Wa- if I would have watched that video before knowing that he he had actually killed his family, I wouldn't have thought anything of it, other than how specific his times were. Like I said last week, his times were very specific. But other than that, I didn't think anything of it. You know. Um, and I actually put a video up on the Facebook group, which is, um, I actually wanted to talk about this story too. And I actually got more details about it, which doesn't make the story less, um, like interesting, but it is, it is more complicated than the initial story that I, uh, or the, the headline that I read. So there's this guy named Melvin Harris in Phoenix, Arizona. He, Oh, I seen the video of that. Yeah. They put together for that. Yeah. Um, but it's, if you only go off, off the video that I shared, I don't remember all the details in the story, but the, basically in the video that I shared on the Facebook group, it says this father accidentally kills a guy who uh, like attacked his daughter in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly what happened. I still feel for this guy because Chris Watts and Melvin Harris are like on two opposite ends of the spectrum. One man who was cold enough to kill his family, his actual children that are half him. And this other man who loves his children so much that it, it drove him into a rage and he accidentally killed a man to protect his kid. But what happened was he was going to go pick up his daughter who's 16 from like a, like a grocery store, like a, like a shopping mall, like an mm-hmm. outdoor kind of shopping mall, her and her friends, he was going to go pick her up. He pulls up to the place where she is and a homeless man walks up to him and asks him for money. Mm-hmm. He gives the homeless man money and the homeless man then in turn goes into the store to buy something. And in that process of him being in the store, his daughter goes into the bathroom and then the homeless man who he just gave money to and is in the store because he gave him money, mm. you know. Now, I'm not saying that's his fault or anything. I'm just saying that's just kind of how the chain of events went. He gave him money and then the homeless guy went, cool, $5. I'll go get a Fago. Went into the store, saw a girl going to the bathroom. He followed her into the bathroom and then tried to go underneath the stall. Mm. The girl freaked out. The security guard came into the bathroom, grabbed the guy, escorted him out of the uh, store. Mm-hmm. The father, the the father is still in the car. The daughter comes out of the car, out of the store, gets in the car, and is like, "Oh my God! Like somebody just tried to assault me in the bathroom." As a matter of fact, that's him right there. Mm-hmm. The father gets out of the the car and goes into the store and tells the security guard, "Look, man, you need to get the police here to handle this, or I'm gonna handle it." During this time, the the homeless man has already walked away mm-hmm. from the situation, gone somewhere. So the the guy, the security guard, tells him, "Yeah, you know, uh, I handled it, man. He's out of the store. You know, I don't, you know." It's handled. He walks out of the store, gets in his car, drives down the street to like this rock lot. You know how like there'll be just like a lot with a bunch of rocks in mm-hmm. it, just pit a pit rock like a pit lot. Mm-hmm. Um, he sees the homeless man there, gets out, confronts the the homeless man. They get into an altercation. 
he ends up getting into a fight with the guy and he punches him and kicks him and he ended up dying from brain swelling like later on that day or the next day. So it's not this thing where uh, the father walked into the bathroom while the man was grabbing his daughter and mm-hmm. then, you know, in the moment he had attacked him because he was just protecting his kid. That's how they made it seem. Yeah, that's exactly how they made it seem. And I just wanted to add clarification to that. Now, he still stopped a man who was some kind of pervert, mm-hmm. delusional or something, and he didn't intend he didn't stab this man or shoot him. His hands were just lethal fire, you know yeah. what I mean? He just had the fire hands and he laid them on this guy with the wrath of every father who's ever felt pain for his kid. And the guy ended up dying. Mm-hmm. So he's charged with second degree murder. He, he It wasn't planned. It wasn't, you know, it was an accident. Um, but I just wanted to add the context to it because I was upset that I'm still upset. If you look up, if you look up Chris, the Chris Watts story as of before, like a couple of days ago, because there were a lot of headlines about it. Chris Watts name come up, pictures of him with his family, mm-hmm. him smiling, him in a polo shirt and everything like that. Whether or not the the uh, situation got de-escalated and then he went and confronted the guy again, which I mean, you as a father, I feel like you know I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. It's like, yeah, the security guard de-escalated it, but you might have a couple more words for that guy. Is that crazy to think? I don't have a kid. No, you know what I mean. Like, is that that's not crazy, right? You might be mm-hmm. like, well, no. Why the fuck did you go in? What are you doing? You mm-hmm. know. So I get that. But you look up this guy, and the first thing that comes up is mugshot. mugshot. And yeah. it's not only the first thing, the only thing. Mm-hmm. You can't find a picture of this guy with his kid, and who doesn't have a Facebook or an Instagram or his daughter has? Mm-hmm. There's you can find a photo of this guy with his kid. They wasn't even the using the daughter his name. that he's protecting. They wasn't using his name in none of the head. Yeah, it just it just was very it was very much a situation where a man who murdered his whole family gets to the the headlines they use. Friends say Chris Watt was. The ultimate family man, mm-hmm. according to them, you know, whereas this guy's like man kills man f- for a daughter. And it's a mugshot and he's looking sad and almost not human. His eyes are looking away from the camera. It's a, you know, like, why shouldn't this guy get to be not proud that he killed a man? But like, I don't think he I think he regrets that somebody died, but I don't think he regrets confronting somebody who tried to attack his daughter in a bathroom. No. If you asked him that, he wouldn't say he probably would say I would handle things a little differently, but he wouldn't say I wish that I'd never done anything because mm-hmm. why wouldn't you? Somebody just attacked your child, right. you know? So I just want to touch on that situation and things went a little bit long, but um, that was just my thoughts on that. And I wanted to also just put perspective into that case that of, of the of the Harris man, because um, it wasn't this uh, wham bam. He saw a guy walking to the bathroom. The guy had his pants down and was grabbing his kid. Like it was essentially kind of got de-escalated a bit, and then he confronted the situation again. Mm-hmm. Which, in any case of law, you're in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody breaks into your house and you shoot them, you you'll probably walk. But if somebody breaks into your house and then you chase them for a mile out of your house mm-hmm. and they got away and then you kill them, you probably will get hit with a manslaughter charge. I'm not calling him a bad person and I wouldn't I would say things got out of hand, but up until that guy died, he laid the smackdown on a pervert. Like that's just if this guy wouldn't have died, people would everybody would have been talking about this guy. We need more guys like this. That would have been like the trending story on Twitter. Like, like a hero you mean. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So because it went to a left field kind of thing, it's not as big of a story, but I don't think anybody's um, 
um, shaming this man mm-hmm. because it was done out of uh, protection of your child. Anyway, let's get out of that. We're going to jump into these good vibes, kind of turn things around a bit, and then we're going to turn it right back around when we get into some fucked up shit. So let's talk about uh, some positivity for a bit. All right, folks, we're here once again to shower you in these good vibes before we dive into this darkness that has been plaguing our world ever since the dawn of man. Fran, would you like to tell us your good vibe story first, or would you like me to go? go first? Okay, cool. So my good vibe story this week, I found this really cool story, and I just wanted to share it really quick because it kind of embodies everything that I think um, would help communities that are underfunded and going through things is a little bit of it takes a village basically like it takes mm-hmm. a village to to feed a child to 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 make a society better and this kind of this story kind of uh, lean lends to that theory so um a high school principal noticed students were being bullied for their dirty clothes and as a result their attendance was dropping so when the school when school starts on September 4th of this year there will be a new facility in the building uh, at this high school in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's a free laundromat. Westside High School principal Akbar Cook said many students faced humiliation because they didn't have anything clean to wear. Students will mock others who showed up with stains on their uh, shirt or dirty pants, taking pictures to continue the harassment on social media. Um, this is uh, this is one reason I'm not opposed to uniforms. I think that, uh, you know, individuality is cool and being able to express yourself through clothing. But when you get into more impoverished areas, Mm -hmm. then it becomes this kind of lopsided affair where some of these kids have money and some of these kids have nothing. And then the kids with money to get Jordans and all this kind of stuff just shit on these kids, which is happening at this school. Whereas if you have a uniform, all y'all look busted. All y'all have yellow polo shirts on and brown pants. And maybe some of y'all, you know, get your parents to buy you cool sneakers. But other than that, everybody's just, y'all all look mad corny. And Kid, I'm not opposed to that, you know? Kids are cruel, man. If I saw a person pull their phone out to snap my f- outfit, I'm getting a three-day suspension because I got to fight that person. How dare you be comfortable enough to take a picture of somebody with the purpose of making fun of them? And I just think we're lucky that we dodged that bullet. But that's crazy to me. Like, not only are you, you mean make- the social media yeah, part? like oh, okay. not only are you gonna make fun of this kid at school, so oh, you're gonna okay. have a terrible day at school. But then when he gets home, it's gonna be like a photo of him on Twitter with smelly mm-hmm. lines coming off of his back, and you know, <laughs> uh, somebody draw a, a trash can next to him yeah. or something. It's just, it's just, it's so cruel and so extra. You know, you can't escape it. That's what I don't like. At least I knew when two fifteen came around, I can get home. And I don't have to deal with these people anymore. Right. But these kids now, they just don't get any escape, you know? It's just wild, man. And and, and uh, That's rough. Man. I couldn't imagine being heartless enough to make fun of a kid for being dirty. That is a whole nother thing of everybody has jokes. Like, you know, we had a kid in our school. I'm not going to say his name. But, you know, when we were in middle school, he had really big lips. And he was this biracial kid. And he kind of had like a, a Jewish fro. Mm. You know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say his name. But he just was a funny looking guy and he talks fast and and we all made fun of him. <laughs> we all made fun of him, but it wasn't ever a thing where it was like uh 
something about your living situation. Uh, I would never make fun of a person like, oh, yeah, you're adopted, right? Or something like that. I'll see that in movies sometimes, and I'm like, this just isn't real, right? Mm-hmm. The people aren't this cruel, but they are, man. Sometimes we're like, oh, man, you stink. Oh, what happened? Did your mom sell your washing machine because she's a crackhead? It's like, whoa, man. Like, that's – it's just lines. <laughs> and there should be lines that is like, yeah, man, like, it's one thing to play the dozens and joke around a little whatever, but you're just being mean. Like, you're being malicious. And um, It's all about the likes, man, the laughs. You you were a cr- quite the animal in high school and in middle school, man. That's a lot. Don't you, sit up here and lie to the listeners are, like You are that. cold-blooded. As a matter of fact, I distinctly remember a case where a kid – spill ketchup on himself and then you told everybody that he had a man period and i was like that's not cool man but i mean we live and we learn right we grow up you're gonna lie to the people like that different person you're gonna gonna lie to the affirmation like that i didn't lie to anybody (laughs) i think that kid he he moved to budapest and he doesn't talk anymore i think he joined the cult and now he just doesn't talk anymore and he just draws in the sand all the time so you did that but you know you're a dad now i don't recall that you grew up and you're a mailman and 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 People change, you know. Life, life becomes life, you know. And this is who you guys like. You guys like uh, <laughs> this is Fran Star. Um. So yeah, so on September fourth, when the school opens up, there's gonna be a laundromat in the school for free. So um. So how does that work? Do they? So they wear dirty clothes to wash their other dirty clothes, and then they. Well, switch? I would assume. It would eventually get to it. You have to. You have to do that to get to the other side. So, so you, gotta, you gotta you gotta, you gotta go day. to school you gotta one the, one of the days. <laughs> you gotta eat the bullet one yeah, day. Yeah, one day you gotta yeah, hey, you gotta get you gotta wear something to get to school. Uh, right. But then after school, you bring your all your clothes and then you got clean clothes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So maybe like that I think how I think this is gonna go is the first day of school, it's gonna be announcement, maybe a little uh a funny sheet of paper mm-hmm. that the teachers, you know, spend their extra time at home, not getting paid a lot of money, making some flyer with cartoon characters on it, or they're like uh Make a, a joke about it, about mm-hmm. some dance thing like, uh, uh, Kiki, are you washing? Do your laundry. You know, they mm-hmm. do st- some stupid shit like that. And the kids are like, whatever, that's dumb. Mm-hmm. But then a week after that first week of school, when all your, you know, your first week of school clothes are dirty and then you start getting ridiculed, then you pull that piece of paper out of the trash can. And you're like, oh, shit, there's a laundromat here. I'm going to start using this. I don't think I think this is going to be met with that little like that teenage like, pfft. That's stupid, but then when you actually start realizing, yeah. oh, uh, if you if you don't if you don't uh, wash your clothes a lot, you start to stink. Right. So, and we don't have a laundry machine here, and we don't have any money to get quarters to go to. The, so, yeah, I think I might have to take advantage of this. So, and then you tell you make fun of it, and then you end up going to the laundromat after making fun of it, and then you walk in there, and the kid you were making fun of it with, he's in there too. Mm-hmm. And you were like, that's dumb, man. Who used that? And then you walk in, it's like, oh, hey, man. I, oh, don't, don't worry, man. I'll keep your secret. I'll keep your secret, too. And then you guys are friends for life. And then you do a podcast called Affirmative Murder. What? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that, I do remember some of those people you go to school with that had, like, dirty clothes. But, like, you know, you make fun of them or you just, like, laugh at the people that make fun of them. And then once the bell rings, you go home. That's it. That was That was – that was pre-Twitter. That was out time. Yeah, you right. know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, man, you got grass stains on your jeans. What'd you do? Slide in the home base? <laughs> yeah, all right, guys, let's go home. Let's go watch TRL. But now, these kids, then they get home and get on the thing that everybody's getting on. Go viral. Yeah, shit. you know, and uh, you now you got to deal with that. Now you're a meme. 
You know, like, like I hope to God <laughs> that I never end up a meme. That girl that with her hand twisted out and her uh, face, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, looking all scrunched up, that girl is a real person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, these memes that we use and we share to, like, express uh, uh-huh. emotions and stuff, those are people, man. There's some girl in Indianapolis like, I don't, I didn't fart or whatever <laughs> you put next to her face. Like, that's an actual person, man. And I think about that like every day. Like, that little um, boy that be in the uh, in the store, and they like that's um that's Terrio, y'all. Oh and, yeah, the, that that, that black kid with the yellow shirt, and <laughs> yeah. he's looking awkwardly. Yeah, man, like that's a kid, and he's probably like fifteen now, and he has to. Some somebody asks him that at least once a week. Like, aren't yeah. you that kid? And he has to go. No, I don't know what you're. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. And he has to walk away mad. You ruined his day. Every time somebody asks him that, he ruins it. it his day gets ruined. Mm-hmm. He was so confused. He didn't yeah, know what he was, was very wrong. confused. Or oh, that like that young white girl who like uh one of the her and her sister were going to Disneyland and it's like, We're going to Disneyland and they cut to the little sister in the car seat and she's like, Oh yeah, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like her face is like, so that girl is probably like eleven years old now. She's these are real people, man. Anyway, let me get back to my That's story. Funny. So basically, uh this um this principal, he uh once he saw that the attendance was falling in a certain amount of students and he was calling around asking why they weren't coming to school. They told him the reason, like basically, like, look, man, I'm coming to school and they're making fun of me as hell. I don't want to. I'd rather stay home. Right. I'd rather, I'd rather fail out of school than deal with what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. So he said, no, that's unacceptable. And he got some funding together. He was able to get twenty thousand dollars together, which, mm. which, that's when crazy. I read it, it was like he got twenty thousand dollars together, and that got him like twenty washing machines. Wow. And that's that adult math that you don't realize until you know, because like. If, if I was 11 and you told me somebody got $20,000, I'd be like, well, you could buy infinity washing machines. That's good. You can get a washing machine for every kid in the school, but uh-huh. it's like a washing machine is like $900, right. a nice one. You might go over 1000 you know, and uh, you don't realize that stuff until you have to buy a washing machine or something like and that. And buy the, the detergent and all but, that stuff. see, no, that's the thing. Oh. Once people found out about what this principal did, they had an Amazon wish list. Oh, okay. And the people started... Uh, donating detergent and uh, dryer sheets and all that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. So all the kids have to do is bring their clothes. clothes. And the washing machines don't have a quarter machine on them or anything like that. And there's plenty of uh, dish soap. I mean, mm-hmm. not dish soap. Uh, you know, detergent mm-hmm. and bleach and uh, dryer sheets. All of that is there. And, you know, they can go in there and take care of their business. And I thought this was such a beautiful story because, man, look, Betsy DeVos, these public school uh, superintendents, all this kind of stuff, they don't give a shit about these poor schools. They're not coming to help you. Just in Baltimore last winter, it got so cold here that there was pipes bursting in all these uh, inner city public schools, mm-hmm. and the water was leaking out and then freezing. You could go out, go to some of these public schools, and there was walls of ice down the sides of these buildings. Mm-hmm. They don't give a shit, man. They're not. They're not coming. So you need to build up your own community, and in, in the ways you can. You can't. Maybe you can't raise enough money to get new pipes. But you can raise enough money to maybe donate a couple of computers to a school. You can you can donate enough money to uh, start an after-school program for uh, some kids to give them something to do after school. Something needs to be done, and I don't think anybody's coming. Mm. So you we need to help ourselves. And this is a case of a principal of a school saying, you know, I'm losing students to a very for a very stupid reason. Mm-hmm. And if I can do something that might help them a little bit, I'm going to do that. Okay. What's the shitty part is that you can... The world is so crazy. You can come up with all these reasons. Like he can he can walk home and then get, get his killed. bag stuck. Get his bag. Oh, all his clo- now all his clothes are gone. Yeah, it's like uh, it's just yeah. it's, 
<laughs> look, man, we gotta look, we gotta think positively, man. This is good vibes. I mean, we can't I guess. bring that. We can't bring the darkness of the world into the good vibes uh, sphere. It. You know can't what I'm saying? Like, we're in a bubble. This is a safe space. We're in the good vibes world, and in this good vibes world, these kids get their clothes clean, and then uh, they come to school and they get straight A's and they go to college. That's in the good vibes world. This program is that's what the purpose of this program is to to keep uh, kids in school, mm-hmm. and maybe the next Albert Einstein wasn't going to school because people were making fun of him for his shoes being dirty and now his shoes aren't dirty so now he can come to school and 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 you know and get an education and go on to help the world yeah and uh, I, I mean I, I hear you but you know I hope that's the case and I just want to give a, a big shout out to principal Akbar Cook and um I hope that your program works out but even if it doesn't you made steps towards something when you saw a problem and I respect that immensely that is my good vibe story for this week that was uh was good I like that um my good vibe story this week is something short. It's just uh, the, the guy I'm going to talk about, he has no name. They haven't. It was a video taken from another person that watched this guy help this older guy walk across the street back to his car at a convenience store. Okay. And he helped him try to walk, but the guy had like a big cast on his leg, so uh-huh. he just couldn't walk yeah. that good. So the guy just picked him up and just carried him to his car. Oh, damn. So instead of him trying to walk him... Take him like ten minutes to, yeah. to walk. Like, you know, man, look, I don't got time yeah. for this, man. Let's just, get you where you need yeah, to go. Yeah, just picked him up, took him to his car. Was, was he like, a buff guy? He was a big. He was a big dude. Okay. He was a big dude, oh, okay. and he had like he had like scrubs on, so like it's something he does. Yeah, he might be like a, an assistant. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. he just, I just thought it was a good thing he helped this man. Now, he picked this guy up. Yeah, this old, this grown man. Yeah, and carried him back to his car, but nobody know who he is. No, nobody knows his name. Sometimes those are my favorite. That's in a video case. Yeah, mm-hmm. in a in a story where like. You, there's details, but there's no name. It's a little harder. Mm. But in a video where you just see a person doing something good, those are my favorite videos because it's so clearly not done for attention yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I, I really have a hard time with those videos of somebody being like, hey, y'all, watch me give this homeless man $50. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. And before we do that, I have a confession to make. I have... um. You want some of these Reese's? No. Okay, good. Uh, I have slandered a show for the last couple years purely because I thought the show had such a cult following that I said, the show just, it's a cartoon. It can't be that funny. Like, this is it's absurd. And y'all are wrong. Like, this show isn't all that. That show is Rick and Morty. Um, My girlfriend Sierra went out of town for about a week uh, last week and had a lot of free time and I ended up watching all of Rick and Morty. And I'm here to say today, on this Sunday, that I was wrong. It's a great show. It's funny. It's weird. It's dark. And um, it deserves all the cult following and all that kind of stuff that it has because it just really is that good of a show. It it, it is a very unique show, and I was wrong. And in honor of that. You're totally wrong. I'm totally wrong about what? When you said you was wrong, I said, yeah, you were totally wrong. I... I said I was wrong. I know. I'm just saying you were totally wrong. Do no you joke. like Rick and Morty? I've been seeing that show. I didn't say you didn't. I just, I asked you if you liked it. Yes, I didn't ask but, if you saw did, it you, or what. So you, it's hilarious. I love okay, that show. Well, I'm sorry. Well, you need to get on the train, brother. Well, I'm on the train now. My well, bad. You stay on the train. Don't hop off. All right. Well, in honor, I'm sorry, man. In honor of the love that Fran has for the show, and now my newfound love for Rick and Morty, I'm gonna take us out to a little Tony, Tony, Tone. Feels good. 
which seems to be the anthem of the show. It plays very often, and I enjoy the song, and it, uh, I forgot it existed until I heard it on Rick and Morty, and I go, damn, I used to love that song. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some fucked up shit, because in a weird way, it feels good, yeah. So stay tuned, and we'll do it back. Alright guys, and we are back, friend. Uh, it is my turn to go first this week, so sit back and... Uh, enjoy these Reese's. Gotcha. Sure, enjoy these Reese's. Mm. Um, mm. I'll just uh, take one of... Alright, cool. Don't... You didn't have to hit Don't my dare. hair. Um, that was unnecessary. Reese's are so... Who, who posted on the page that they said that Reese's don't taste the same as they did... 20 years ago or something. I don't know, but she was very adamant about that. She also said that they're like waxy now and the peanut butter is mad artificial and well, she said you're an idiot she, for liking she smelled, them. She spelled it wrong because she meant to say they were delicious. That's what she meant to say. Mm. Mm. Uh, burn. Mm. You burned her. Um, guys, I want to do a uh, bit of a... I don't do this very often, but in this story's case, as a matter of fact, there's some details in the story that I'm actually going to skip over. Uh, I want to give a... Uh, like a trigger warning, I guess, or just even just a content warning. Think it's gruesome? This is a pretty graphic story. Hmm. Um, okay. So there's not going to be a lot of wackiness or anything like that for my story this week. Okay. So before we get into that, I'm going to go ahead and get a sound effect or two off. I'm going to get one there and uh, maybe uh, another one here. Wow. Fran, would you like to get a sound effect in or two? For maybe what? Just beforehand because I'm not going to be doing a lot of them this week because my story's a little. Yeah. I can't do my own. Yeah, sure. All right. Thank you. So uh, 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 my affirmative murder this week is uh, the story of 44 Days in Hell, the Junko Furuta story. Um, So uh, like I said, very extreme content. uh, So strap in and uh, here's my story. Junko Furuta was a Japanese schoolgirl who was very pretty. She was well-liked by many, but also envied and hated by some of her classmates because she had a good job, was at the top of her class, and refused to smoke or drink. She caught the attention of of Hiroshi Mayano. Hiroshi Mayano had a major crush on Junko, which is understandable because she's an HBIC, you know, uh, getting it it done her way. She's got a job, and she's... uh, not getting caught up in smoking and drinking. So she's got that flawless skin, a glow about her. She's getting her own money. All the women who independent throw your hands up at me. You know what I'm saying? You feel me, friend? Sorry, yeah. All right, cool. If you get that peanut butter out your throat, man, you can focus. <coughs> yeah, I'm down over here. Jeez. Well, it's you delicious. know, maybe that lady was right. <coughs> no. Reese's are trash. No. All right. So like I said, Hiroshi had a major crush on Junko, but he was a thug with connections to the Japanese crime underworld. Okay. He probably had like some uh, koi fish. He definitely had some koi fish on him somewhere, I would mm. bet. Uh, he asked Junko out and she politely declined. So she didn't, you know, 
she didn't laugh at him or say like you're dusty broke don't talk to me anything like that i don't want no scrubs yeah she did she just said like no thank you i'm okay you know kindly which is her right as a woman to to scorn any advance and say no thank you i'm i'm fine have a nice day mm-hmm. i appreciate it but i'm i'm fine and this angered hiroshi mm. you know because <laughs> women are objects and if i say i want to take you out to dinner then I'm going to take you out to dinner because you're an object and I want to see your boobs, right? No. Okay. Yeah, no. Yeah, right. All right, cool. Uh, one day while Junko was riding her bike home from work, Hiroshi and his friend, Nobuharu, I'm sorry. Hiroshi and his friend, Nobuharu Minato, were walking in the park looking for women to rape and rob. What? Yeah. How this does... is just an outing out with a buddy. <laughs> You know how two buddies get together and you're like, you know, should we go to the movie? Should we rape and rob? Like, you know, real just catch, you know, heart catch 22. What what to do on a on a Saturday night? You know what? Let's go. Let's go rape and rob people. The fact that there's a buddy that's like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like, been a while. I just can't get you over know, that. That's crazy as shit, man. So they saw Junko and made a plan. And this is super fucked up. So first, Hiroshi kicked Junko off her bike and ran away. And then Nobuharu pretended to be a, a passerby and helped Junko up and offered to walk her home. Junko trusted him as they walked away. Hiroshi jumped out and grabbed Junko's free arm, and he and Nobuharu ran off into the night with 19-year-old Junko. They took Junko to a, a warehouse where they raped her and then to a nearby hotel where they raped her again. Twice. Well, they each... Raped Take her. turns. Oh. And then they each raped her twice. So they took her to a warehouse and raped her, both of them. And then they took her to a hotel. And well, it was two her. two different uh sessions, I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um from the hotel, Hiroshi called his two friends. What? Joe Kamasaku and Yasushi Watanabe to brag about the rape. So you gotta. That's four of the, like the most disgusting people ever. Like, I thought you was about to say he called to his friends to be like, "Hey, I'm up on this train." That's oh, don't. Uh, yeah. Oh, are you that so Raven? Because that's where this is going. Oh, okay. Uh, the two boys asked him to give them a turn at raping wow. Junko. The boys took Junko to a park at three in the morning, where Joe and Yasushi were waiting. They told Junko that they knew where she lived from a notebook in her backpack. And if she tried to escape, they would murder her family. Mm. They took her to Nobuharu's house and gang raped her. Mm-hmm. On November 27th, 1988, two days after her kidnapping, Junko's parents reported her missing. Her kidnappers forced her to call her parents and say she had run away, but was safe. They also forced her to demand that the police stop searching for her. When Nobuharu's parents were around, Junko was forced to pretend to be his girlfriend. So the four guys are all taking turns fucking with this girl Mm -hmm. at one of the guy's house. Mm -hmm. His parents lived there. And so whenever his parents were home, she would have to let him put his arm around her and smile and all this kind of stuff and pretend like she was dating one of the guys. She must have been terrified. Oh, I'm sure. And think about how... Your, her psyche's probably broken. She's been gang raped. She's been raped at this point 
seven different times, several different times by several different men in probably brutal, violent ways, you know? And now it's like, I don't, I mean, what, what, what do you want me to do? Put my armor in? I don't know, man. You know, it's probably such a, a disconnect, you know? They later stopped this act when they realized his parents wouldn't call the police because they were afraid of their own son who'd shown extreme violence toward them in the past. So she ran into a collection of just very horrible people. Their parents are scared of them. Uh, They have friends who, when they get a phone call in the middle of the night about their friend raping somebody, they're like, oh, bet. Can I get next? Which is crazy. That's crazy. That's sick. That's disgusting. You know what I mean? Like, if I if if anybody that I had any association with ever called me and said that to me, I would call the police on them immediately. Mm-hmm. Because first of all, how dare you th- think that I'm cool with that? Like, how dare you think like, yo, you know, guess what I just did? <laughs> I just raped a girl, right? High five me. It's like, what the what the fuck do you think <laughs> I am? Right. That's just crazy, man. Um, High five me. Yeah, like give me up top, right? <laughs> no, you're going up top, upstate <laughs> to the to jail. Crazy man. This is so starting to go into the territory. Like I said, there are some there's some details of this I'm just not going to read because um, it's it's just gratuitous. Like it's, it's unnecessary, fucked up shit that I'm not going to read. Why don't you read it and just cut it out? So you can hear it. So I can hear. I right, do that. Um. It's claimed that over 100 people knew of Junko's of Junko's presence in the house and the crimes that were being committed, but not one person spoke up. This included underground criminals who were invited to rape Junko. She was held captive in the house for 40 days. Here's what happened. All right, so that's a little block of the fucked up shit. Are you satisfied with that? Is, is, is did that? Do you feel cool having heard that? No, but f- I think f- if I was in her situation, I'd have just—I don't know if she maybe tried to fight back, but mm-hmm. I'd just went on and tried to fight back, and they just had to beat me to death. Fuck it. Fair enough. One of the kidnappers' friends came to the house where he where he claims he was bullied into raping Junko. He went home and told his brothers of the incident who who then called the police. Two officers were sent to Nobuharu's house. The officers asked if a girl was present. They were invited inside to search the home, but they considered the invitation as proof that there was no girl inside the house to be found. What? So they didn't go in? Yeah. Wow. If they had gone inside, <laughs> wow. Junko would have been saved after only 16 days, which that is probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I understand, you know, having trust in people, but just because somebody goes, yeah, sure, come, that's such a gamble too, that they it must be a customary thing. It must be in Japan in 1988. If you're friendly and 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 respectable to police, they'll leave you alone. Yeah, they, I have to I have to expect that they knew if you go, just act like you have nothing to hide. Yeah. Yes, officers, come on in. And they go, well, since you're inviting us in. You clearly have nothing going on in your house. That's crazy. Have a nice day. And she's, I mean, she probably was like just in the basement, like not far in the house. It's not wow. like, it's not like at this moment she, they took her somewhere else. She was in the house, but because they played it cool, the police were like, 
well, I guess there's nothing to see here. Have a nice day. Yeah, he uh, he he knew that. He yeah, knew. Yeah, it must yeah. just have been. Yeah. Maybe it still is in Japan. That That's might crazy. just be how you deal with police if you want them to leave you alone. Which I guess is the same way here. Like we see police here, you're like, play it cool, man. You know, keep your seatbelt on, look straight, act like nothing's going on. That's how you, that's how you get the police to, in your mind anyway. Mm-hmm. Unless you're our Hugh, then it, you know, you could do all those things and, and shit might still go sideways. But um, one of my favorite stories is uh, Sierra, the first time she ever ate a weed cookie, we were coming. She she came and picked me up. Um, from her house, I think my car had a flat tire or something. She came and picked me up from my house to go to her house. But she was so high, so she had the cookie before she left work. Mm-hmm. And by the time she got to my house, the cookie kicked in. Mm-hmm. So then when I, she like texted me to say she was outside, I come out of the house. She's getting out of the car and walking to the passenger. She's like, I can't drive. I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't know she had a cookie, though. So uh, I'm like, what? And I get in the car. She's like, uh, my boss gave me a cookie, so I can't drive. And then we, so I'm driving to her house, and we stop at a red light. Mm-hmm. And to our right is a police car. Mm-hmm. And when I say, I mean, she, I would never be a drug dealer or anything like that just from that day. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she goes, oh, my God, there's a police car next to us. And I was like, yeah. She's like, what do I do? I was like, don't do, – what do you mean? Don't do anything. Just sit there. Right. And she's like, okay. And she's looking around. And she's, like, waiting for the light to turn green, like, wishing that it would hurry up and turn green. Mm-hmm. She freaked out so hard, man. It was really weird. And um, things of uh, – that was the day I knew, like, oh, Sierra can't hold water. Like, I can't sell no. drugs out of this house or be like Heisenberg from Breaking Bad. I can't do that. She'll flip on me instantly, man. Yeah. And if she, even if she won't flip on me, because I know she loves me, if she won't flip on me, she won't be able to lie. You know, so that's the only reason I don't sell drugs. <laughs> <laughs> There's no moral reason or anything like that. I just picked the spouse that, you know, uh, you know, isn't a isn't a great Bonnie to my yeah. Clyde. So if I had a if I had a woman that was like, give me the drugs, oh, I'd probably, it'd be, it'd be crazy shit. This podcast would be very different. I probably wouldn't be here. Yeah, you, we probably would have stopped being <laughs> friends a long time ago. I'd be some story you tell to your kid. Like, I used to have a friend. He was a nice guy, but then, you know, his, the streets got him. Yeah. That'd be <laughs> my name. I'd be like A Boogie. That'd be my name. I have a teardrop tattoo. You know. Oh, man. In some alternate universe, like in Rick and Morty, that's me. In some <laughs> alternate universe, I'm a little grittier. You know, I, I, I'm a little more Baltimore, and I have a teardrop tattoo mm-hmm. that's filled in. And I sell weight. Big, big time. <laughs> At the beginning of December, Junko snuck to the phone to call the police, but was caught before she could say anything. Mm. She was punished by having her legs and feet soaked in lighter fluid and set on fire. That's crazy. A larger mm. bottle was also. Never mind. It's not gonna. I'm gonna. No. Nope. That's it. I'll be like, just kill me. Just, just end it already. Yeah. I'm actually gonna read that again because I almost said the. The second part, and I'm not going to say that. Uh, they stuck a a large... Oh, so, uh, at the beginning of December, Junko snuck to the phone to call the police, but was caught before she could say anything. She was punished by having both her legs and feet soaked in lighter fluid and set on fire. During this, she went into convulsions. The boys thought she was faking a seizure, so they doused her in more lighter fluid. She survived and continued to be raped and beaten. Mm. Junko begged them to kill her and get it over exactly. with. Exactly. Just end it. Yes. Which I you know how you know how like much of a breaking point you have to be at yeah. to ask for that? That's so fucking sad. Like 
you are you're in so much pain and agony, and they're putting you through so much that you're just you're saying, just kill me, yeah. man. Like I don't even want to. I don't want to want to be alive anymore. That's that such... will, that's some that's what that would be me. I'd be like just yeah. You go th- if you, to go through that so much, you go through that much pain and suffering. You just like just fuck it. Just man, what are y'all doing? Just yeah. kill me. It's, it's just crazy, man. <laughs> Whatever y'all do after I'm d- I'm dead. Whatever. I don't, don't even take care. it just, to the next level after you kill me. I don't Jesus care. Christ. But like, why? What you know? Mm. Uh. So yeah, she begged them to kill her, but instead, her captors made her sleep on the snow-covered balcony and locked her in a freezer. Her limbs were so crippled from the torture that one captor claimed in court that it took Junko an hour to crawl down the stairs. Wow. Because of the brutality of the beatings, Junko lost control of her bowels and was beaten constantly for soiling the carpets. She couldn't keep down food or water and vomited all things she consumed. So, All right, so... And she was beaten for that as well. This was in one of the um, the guy's houses, right? This was, right? This was in... Yes, this was in... This was in Nobuharu's house. Was the name of the guy. And his parents live in I'm about to say, where are the parents? Is point, At this point... At this point, he he said to himself or to his friends, you know what, why am I pretending that this dumb broad is my girlfriend? My parents are terrified of me. They're not going to call the police. So who gives a shit? Wow. We can do what we want. And that's what happened. His parents didn't call the police. This story does, didn't end because the parents were mm-hmm. finally got fed up and called the police on their kid. That's not how this ends. Mm-hmm. So they were very terrified of him, and they didn't call the police. And eventually he realized that and said – you know what? No more faking. Call some of the other guys over here. They had other guys coming over to rape her. I mean, it was it was insane, man. So, like I said, uh, they beat her. She lost control of her bowels, and she would, um, you know, relieve herself on the carpets accidentally, and they beat her for that. And then she also couldn't keep her food or water down, and they would beat her for that too, whenever she'd vomit. So she couldn't do anything. She was getting beat for everything. She was getting beat for everything. Much. Yeah. Um, Junko's body was severely disfigured and her face was extremely swollen. She began to give off a rotting smell and because of this, the boys lost sexual interest in her and gang raped another 19-year-old girl who was on her way home from work. Mm. On January 4th, 1989, they challenged Junko to a game of Mahjong, which she won. This angered them, so they beat her, dropped barbells and medicine balls on her stomach, Mm. And set her on fire again. Because she won? Because she won a fucking game. This is wow. toxic masculinity at as high, as the highest level you can get to. This is a bunch of men thinking that they can do with this woman whatever they want. And then had the nerve to make her play a game with them. You think she wanted to play a fucking game of Mahjong? No. They made it. They're like, you need to entertain us more. And so this, play this game with us. This went on for what? 40 days. Forty. Okay, 40 like you said. Okay. Yeah. But... I mean, damn. Yeah. And they didn't she, get bored or... I mean, no, like, of course they didn't Jesus. get bored. Every day they came up with a new fucking thing to do. Now they got her playing fucking card games. And when she loses, they beat her for that. So was I mean, like, when she wins, I'm sorry, she beat them, which probably made them feel emasculated in this weird oh, way, yeah. even though you're dealing yeah. with this woman who you've been beating and raping and burning and all these things for days now. And somehow you still have so much anger towards her as a woman mm-hmm. that her beating you made you feel emasculated, so you beat her more. Were they celebrating, or 
they say. Celebrating what? Like, whenever they was... Oh, I'm sure they were getting something out of it. I mean, up until they found her not sexually attractive anymore, which is like, I mean, come on. Like, what who, who the... Like, what a gross... What gross people. After so they, once they found was, her not attractive anymore, it was hate she just now. became like a... It was like a just an experiment thing to get oh, your okay. aggression out on. And, yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, so she lost in Mahjong. They beat her about the stomach with all kinds of things, and then they set her on fire again. She tried to put the fire out, but went into convulsions, and then she died later that day. They wrapped her body in blankets and put her in an oil drum, which they filled with wet cement. They later loaded the drum onto a cement truck in Kodok, Tokyo. On January 20th, 1989, Hiroshi and Joe were arrested for the kidnapping and rape of a little girl that they attacked in December. On March 29th, two officers went to interrogate Hiroshi when they found women's underwear at his home. They spoke to him about the murder of a woman. And check out how dumb this fucking guy is. I'm glad he's so fucking dumb. Hiroshi thought they meant Junko and told them where to find the body, thinking Joe must have already confessed. Hmm. They had they had no idea what he was talking about, <laughs> but Hiroshi had just accidentally confessed to the crimes he committed against Junko. They then arrested Nobuharu and Yasushi. And this, the ending isn't going to make anybody happy, And just to let you know. Um, Get away. No, I mean. Oh. At least if they got away, you'd think like they spent the rest of their lives looking over their shoulder. This is, you know. Hiroshi, who was the, um, I guess, the instigator in this whole situation, he was the first guy. He, he liked her mm-hmm. and probably came up with the idea to target her specifically. Obviously, him and his buddy both wanted to go out and rape that night. But something in him probably said, "Oh, this girl turned me down earlier." The rejection, so I, right? Yeah, so I mm-hmm. want, I want her, I want to rape her. Hiroshi was sentenced to twenty years in prison, not life, not you know the death penalty, which I mean, I'm not a fan of. But this story, I would understand if these kids got sentenced to death, not life in jail, twenty years in prison, and his family sent fifty million yen, which sounds like a lot, but it's not. It's four. It's about four hundred twenty-five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Which is a lot of money, but fifty million sounds way like yeah. way more than you mm-hmm. know. Um, to Junko's, they sent th- they sent that money to Junko's parents as a way of an apology for their son's actions. That's it. That's oh well, no, the, everybody has sentences. Nobuharu was sixteen at the time and got five to nine years in prison. His family was not punished for their role in the crime, and Nobuharu was released. He has not had a job since his freedom was granted back to him. So Ooh. he was free by, you know, the mid-90s and is still not working. Probably living at home still with his parents who let him do whatever the fuck he oh, wants to do. Oh, what a punishment. Uh, Yasushi rece- received a five to seven year sentence. He was 17 at the time of the crime. After his release, he got married. This is like a really fucked up ending to like American Pie or whatever, where you know everybody's laughing and shit, and then the it freezes and their their like their story comes mm-hmm. up. Uh, so somebody married that person. Uh, Joe served eight years. He was seventeen at the time of the crime. After his release, he bragged about his part in Junko's murder and kidnapping, and kidnapped another person who he brutally beat and threatened to murder. Wow. Joe's mom vandalized Junko's grave. And uh, uh, for the reason being, she says, 
this woman ruined her son's life. Excuse me? What? Your son took her life. So you're a piece of shit and you're going to hell. Wow. Wait, so why was it getting charged? Because they were minors or yeah, something? Yeah, they were all under the age of 18. Get the fuck but, out of here. I mean, you ever heard of extenuating circumstances? I mean, this is about as extenuating <laughs> as they can be. Like, That's they crazy. beat this woman for 40 days, and then they, three out of the four of them got less than 10 years in prison. And then the main guy, all of these people should have been spending the rest of their lives oh, in yeah, jail. Oh, yeah, most definitely. But at the very least, the instigator of the situation should have. Life. Life should have been immediate. Now, I don't know. Maybe life isn't an option in jail. Maybe 20 years is the maximum sentence you could give a person in Japan in 1988. Maybe that's what it is, and I just didn't do that research. But it's something that feels crazy to me that this happened and three of the four people involved spent less than 10 years in prison. Three of the four of them spent less time in prison than the first guy. Like, combined, they all Mm -hmm. probably served about six years each, that's about 18 years, and one of them, the main guy, got 20. And it's 2018, man, so these people are, you know, still alive for the most part. I mean, 17 and 88, what are you, like 50 now? You know, they they got out of jail and lived 30 years of bliss. Not, maybe not bliss, maybe they were pariahs or whatever, but one of them got out of jail and was like, yeah, I fucking killed her. And then did so, some bullshit. Yeah. That's the same one, right? Joe. Joe did that. Joe Joe is the most gross one that I read because not only did he brag and then get out of jail and then beat an, another person and kidnap somebody else, all that, and his mother was like, fuck that bitch, yeah. and spit on her grave or something, you know? There, you know, so, you know, he is not remorseful at all. Each of the four captives were given such light sentences for their crime because of their ages of 18 or younger. Junko's funeral was held in April of 1989. At her funeral, Junko was given a diploma so that she graduated with the rest of her class. She had worked at a she had worked a part-time job when alive, and her employer laid a uniform on her casket. Now, this was a great uh thing and it, and everything like that, and the the employer did it uh to honor her, and um I guess that's a customary thing. What I will say is, one, I don't want to be buried. If you put a fucking uniform if I was to get buried, if you put a fucking uniform on my casket, Where did she I work? will rise. I mean, she worked <laughs> somewhere that had a uniform. You know what I mean? So, I mean, maybe she worked at a hotel. Maybe she worked at a hospital. You know, who knows? But it was somewhere. You don't want to. You know what I mean? Like, do you want to. Uh, uh, the, 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 the UPS. What is it? The USPS blues uh, work uniform laid over your casket no. when you go to the afterlife? No. I don't want to think about that at all. When I, You know what I mean? Do you think I want a Krispy Kreme polo fucking draped over my casket <laughs> when I'm going to the afterlife? No. Now. It's not like she was a professional athlete or something. Yeah, I guess that'd be better. You know, that's more of a glamorous thing, yeah. I guess. And maybe if she was a, a like a full-blown doctor and somebody threw a stethoscope, you know, yeah, over everything, cool. that's cool. But, yeah. like, if you work at McDonald's. That's what I mean. That's you know what I mean? Asked. I don't want some polo, a McDonald's polo With and a visor. Hat. Yeah, you know, who wants that on there? On that casket. The last thing I want to do after I get off work is think about work. Uh, and the last thing I want to be buried with for the rest of eternity is work clothes. Wait, you want me to put these on and work when I'm in heaven? The crispy, uh, got a crispy gold M on it. Yeah. So like, new I mean, stitched. Yeah, you know, we got, a, we got a, one of the extra fresh McDonald's polos from out of the back, you know, just to 
honor and preserve his yeah. memory because he was so good at making fries. Shift, shift manager. Yeah, you know, he just was so good at making the schedule for the workers that I mean, we haven't seen one like it. And uh, he worked his way all the way up from McNuggets. So <laughs> that's disrespectful. Yeah, man. I, don't 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 come to my funeral. None of my bosses are allowed at my funeral. As a matter of fact, you know, like don't even. We keep it strictly professional. Don't come. Don't come to my shit. Send, send my family some regards and keep uh, it pushing. Uh, so um, Junko's mom actually suffered a mental breakdown from the loss of her daughter and spent mm. a long period of time in a mental health facility. So um, that was my affirmative murder this week. That there's no real happy ending there. Everybody from that story yeah, that was out of jail and who knows what they're doing. That was tough. But yeah, man. I mean. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I don't, I don't have any kind of bright side to look at. The reason I um, wanted to do that story um, specifically is because there's this trend um, of women just, not a trend, it's been going on forever, but women just kind of are seen as less than in society. And it kind of came to a head this month w- um, with that Molly Tibbetts story. For those of you who don't know, it probably a lot of you do know most of you probably know molly tibbetts is this uh she was the 17 year old girl from iowa uh she went missing the last time she was seen was uh during a jog at around 7 30 a couple of weeks ago and it turns out that on that day that she went out for a jog a man you know happened upon her and started running alongside of her spitting his game is what it kind of seems like that was how the scenario was set up like you know hey you know what are you doing out here with these sexy clothes on? You know, mm-hmm. can I take you? Can I get your number? Da, 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 da. And she's like, look, man, I, I'm I'm thank you, but I'm OK. And he continued to pursue her and follow her while he's jogging running alongside her. I fully understand uh, somebody wanting to go out for a jog and not wanting to be fucked with. You know, I, I can relate to that for sure. And this girl, Molly Tibbetts, was just trying to go out for a jog. This guy was trying to get her number or whatever. It didn't go the way he wanted it to go. And so he says, guess what his, you know, his excuse was a blacked out. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. I was talking to her, Mm -hmm. you know, she was saying no. She said she was going to call the police if I didn't leave her alone. And then I blacked out. And when I woke up, I had a set of headphones on my lap and I was driving my truck. I read that he jogged alongside her and was trying to talk to her, I guess. And then Mm -hmm. he just grabbed her or like hit her upside the head and grabbed her. And then he blacked out after yeah. he got her in the car. And then, and then in that blackout, apparently he dragged her to a field and left her there and she died. That blackout shit. Yeah. It's just not a good, <laughs> it's not a good alibi. It's not, a, it's not going to go the gracious. way you think it's going to go. And now it's kind of being politicized because he apparently was an undocumented immigrant. But I am of the belief that this is more of a situation where a guy saw a woman and went, Oh, a woman. I like how she looks. I want that. And as a man, if I want it, if I say the right things, I'll get it because that's what women are here for. Mm-hmm. And it didn't go the way that it, he wanted it to go. And he his his ego was hurt. He was angry or whatever. And he hit her or whatever. And now a woman is dead. And I think that that's more of a case of, you know, a man asserting his dominance over a woman than uh, illegal immigrants coming into this country and you know, whatever stupid, you know, politicization that's going on. And you hear you hear I blacked out more than in like I snapped. I think they're from the same, the same cloth thing? though. I... I think a snapped but I I think a, a saying you snapped um is you taking more responsibility than a blackout. I th- you snap saying you snapped like um what's that famous story? Uh I did it on the podcast. 
the Matthew Shepard case. In that case, the guy said, yeah, Matthew Shepard was gay and he came on to me. And when he tried to come on to me, I just snapped, man, and I beat the hell out of him and, you know, until he died. That's taking more responsibility than, yeah, man, he touched me and then I blacked out and then I was home. I don't know. So I would even say a snap is better. I think they're, I actually take that back then. I think they're different because, because snap, you're taking more responsibility. You're saying, you're saying I did it, but I just was berserk. I just was so mad. Yeah. I was just so mad. I I was crazy. But blacked out, you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what, like, what? What do you mean? Maybe I wasn't there. Like you you went totally blank, unconscious that you didn't even know like what happened for like the next hour or two hours, however long it took. It's like, insane. That, come on now. Yeah, a blackout is not a good excuse <laughs> at all. But that's what happened. And when I heard the Molly Tibbetts story, and then I saw this story of, of Junko, I saw the parallels and I wanted to tell the story because I want to... It's not even a PSA because women, you know what you go through. But I am sorry that you have to deal with fuck boys and uh, these men out here who think that they that you owe them something or that they can just take from you or that uh, they deserve something. It's so much rhetoric that I hear in the world today. There's this whole section of guys who like, uh, there's uh, these young Trump voters who are like, women won't date me because I voted for Donald Trump. What's up with that? I'm handsome. It's like, bro, a woman doesn't have to do anything. If they, if they don't, you know, if they don't like you, it's not something wrong with them. It's something wrong. That's their choice. They don't have to like you, you know, or these people that, you know, that catfish people. They're like, you know, well, I couldn't get anybody as myself. It's like, how about you be yourself? And if there's a woman out there who likes you being you, she'll make that decision on if she wants to date you or not. That's just that's just how the world works. And if it doesn't work that way, you can't just take something from somebody or trick them. That's just it's not okay. And this woman, Junko was a victim of a guy who couldn't take no for an answer. And Molly Tibbetts was the victim of a guy who couldn't take no for an answer. And there's a ton of women out there who are mm-hmm. victims of men who couldn't take no for an answer. And it's not okay. And I know you being the father of a, of a girl, you don't find that okay either. No. You know, it's, it's just, just... this That story brought up a whole bunch of other shit. Like, the first thing you see is when you get on Twitter and you search the story, uh-huh. the first thing you see is, well... If we had a wall, this it's, it's not even a. It, that's what like, I mean about the politicists. It, like it, it, it is not even. They're not even focused on the fact that this girl was murdered. No. You know, and why she was murdered, and how crazy they're just like. That's the well, immigrants come in this country and they kill people. It's like, how about we dissect her? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Molly Tibbetts and why this girl wasn't allowed to go on a jog down a road. You know, she didn't jog into some uh, border town full of like cartel members mm-hmm. a man killed her because she would she wouldn't take his phone number who happened to be an immigrant he happened to be an immigrant you know but it's the first thing you see and it's the sad part like that it's the first thing that pops yeah. up when you search it it's, i was like it's like all right if we had a wall maybe he wouldn't be here but there'd just be some other molly tibbets because men are out here fucking taking what they want from women and right. assaulting them for saying no so making a wall doesn't make uh Men stop assaulting women because that's what this it has is nothing about. to do with. Yeah, it just it just it just it's insane. But let's not even continue to dive down that political wormhole. Why not? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Let's just go on for like another twenty minutes about politics. Okay, so check this out. Uh, 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 Putin 
And no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some more fucked up shit. So stay tuned. All right. And we are back, Fran. Uh, if you don't mind, please take it away. My favorite murder this week is a hell. I'm trying to get this right. Okay. A hell Materino Resendez. All right. Have I don't think you've done this story, have you? I just want to clarify. The I've ra- never said a hell in my okay. life. Okay. The railroad killer. The railway killer and the rail the rail car killer. These are all one. That was all his names. Okay. Yeah. Yep. They're all kind of redundant, huh? Yeah. Railway, <laughs> rail car, train, the train. Call killer. him the train killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he was a Mexican serial killer suspected as in, in as many as twenty three murders across the United States oh. and Mexico during the nineteen nineties. Some also involved sexual assault. He became known as the rail the railroad killer, as most of his crimes were committed near railroads where he had jumped off the trains and he was and he was jumped off the trains he was using to travel about the country. On June twenty first, nineteen ninety nine, he briefly became the four hundred and fifty seventh fugitive listed by the FBI on its ten most wanted fugitive list. Mm. Why do they call it still the ten most? Uh, yeah, I don't get that. <laughs> I guess. You can be on the list, but the top ten the top is only 10. what that's what really matters. Okay, all right. It's like NBA rankings. It's like you top ten, maybe top twelve players uh, in the league. It's it's a whole list. Right. But when you're like four hundred and fifty six, you're not like a priority. Okay. But that's still out of like a million people. So, you know, perspective. Like we're the hottest true crime podcast on the streets, mm-hmm. but we're not on the iTunes ranking list right okay, now. True. But the streets really know what's going on. Yeah, they know. Yeah, but we're just really far down that list. So, yeah, he was on the, the um, 10 most wanted fugitives list before surrendering to the Texas authorities on July 13th, 1999. He was convicted of murder and was executed by lethal injection. So, hmm. that's just a little jump ahead of what happened before okay. I get into the details. So, Resendez had many aliases but was, but was known and sought after as Rafael Resendez Ramirez. Okay. Um... So one of his other names was Ahel Reyes Resendez, okay. was um and was very close to his his real name, mm-hmm. and he used another name was Ahel Leoncio Reyes Resendez. Oh, so he always keeps those uh those last names in there, whatever kind of variation he does where he changes the first name. It's always Reyes Resendez is yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah. So Ahel was that was his name on his birth certificate, the Mexican birth certificate. Mm-hmm. So he was born in Puebla, Mexico, and Resendez was in the United States illegally. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of just like what the hell we was just talking yeah, about. Topical, man. Yep. Just kind of keeping it going. Um, and also this, most of his murders happened in Texas, which was where right my yeah, which was where my um good good vibe story was. Oh, was, was also Tejas. Yeah. So by illegally jumping on and off trains, both within and across Mexico, Canada, and the United States, generally crossing borders illegally, Resendez was able to evade authorities for a considerable time. He also had no fixed address. While in Las Cruces, New Mexico, area he would often use the Meterino name to get help from unsuspecting friends of the Meterino family. Unaware of his criminal background, the friendly people would help him with food and money. It was not until he was captured that the southern New, Mex- New Mexico Metodano family realized he was 
he was a crook and vicious criminal. They were furious with the FBI that the man in question was their relative relative, and requested to use his true last name, Resendez. They didn't want them <clears throat> using that last name when, when, Once he, he, got, got caught. when he got caught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before like, that, they didn't know. They yeah, were like, oh, yeah. you're, you're a Reyes <laughs> or whatever. I didn't yeah. know you were a Reyes. You, oh, okay. You do look like... Uh, our abuelito. Mm-hmm. And then they give him some food and then yep. he'd be like, thanks. And he'd hop back on a train yep. and go do some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, no. Yeah, no, uh-uh. don't, don't stop <laughs> using that. Don't use our name right. anymore. Yeah, so uh, the Metodano educators and so they was, yeah, they was, yeah, they was furious with the FBI. So California were taken by surprise when they were quoted new articles saying in school settings, one of your relatives, Metodano, the railroad killer was captured. It was later known that he had taken the identity scholars who had graduated from USC and other universities used their achievements as his own. So D was just taking people's identities. Wow. Um, U.S. government records show what? And this was in the nineties. Yeah, this is in the nineties. It must have just been easier. It probably <laughs> was mad easy to do that back then too. Just, just change your name license and yeah. maybe put your picture over their picture, like. My name's Derek now. Yep. I'm about to I'm about to say that but to pull that up too. So US government records show that he had been deported to Mexico at least four times since first entering the US in nineteen seventy three. Oh wow. So Resendez killed at least fifteen people with rocks, a pickaxe, and other blunt ob- other blunt objects, mainly in their homes. After each murder, he would linger in the homes for a while, mainly to eat. He took sentimental things and laid out the victim's driver's license to learn a bit about their lives he had taken. Oh wow. So he was just studying studying these people Absorbing so them. Yeah, so he can he can use it in just in case somebody come to question him or he need to do something or get something, he can use that information. Shit. So he stole jewelry and other items and gave them to his wife and mother in Rodeo, Durango, Mexico. Much of the jewelry was sold or melted down. Some of the items that were removed from the homes were returned by the wife and the mother after he after he was captured. Money, however, was sometimes left at the scene. He raped some of his female victims. Um, rape served as a secondary intent. Most of his victims were found covered with a blanket or otherwise obscured from from immediate view. So I'm about to get to his list his list of victims here. Okay. So, victim one. Was, 19, was in 1986 in Bexar County, Texas. An under, unidentified woman, the woman was shot four times with a 38 caliber weapon, and her body was dumped in an abandoned farmhouse. Resendez stated that he met the woman at a homeless shelter. They took a motorcycle trip. Where did he get a bike? I don't know. They took a motorcycle trip together, bringing a gun along to fire for a target practice. Resendez said that he shot and killed the woman for disrespecting him. Wow. I mean, like, what that's do you? A very, uh, yeah, so that's a very blunt <laughs> answer. Like, she shouldn't have been talking shit. She, yeah, she said I couldn't shoot that watermelon on that gate. So yeah. you know, had to do. What How to dare do. you tell me that my boots don't match my shirt? <laughs> she had to go. You know how long it took me to pick out this outfit? You know, I guess just disrespect is like such a broad term. I mean, like, what? What could it have been? They was. I'm guessing they was on like a a date. I guess, but I mean, like, what did she have to say? Who knows what this man takes as disrespect? Yeah. Uh, so the second victim of 1986 in Bexar County, Texas, and, and an unidentified man, Resendez stated that soon after killing the homeless woman, he shot and killed her boyfriend and dumped his body in a creek somewhere between San Antonio 
and you Vlad, I'm guess you Vlad, I'm guess how you say it. Sure. Resenda said that he killed the man because he was involved in black magic. The man's oh. body has never been found. Nothing is known about him except what what Resendez told authorities. Resendez confessed to these first two murders in September 2001 in hopes that doing so would speed up his execution. Like he's just going to glaze over the part about the black magic. Like, <laughs> like that was normal. You kind of just carried on through your story. Like that was just like, yeah, you know how people do black magic sometimes. So you know? he killed him. Yeah, you know, it's just it's normal. Yeah. So those two people, nobody know who they are. And uh, they was boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah, so they was dating, but nobody, no identity. His third victim, July 19th, 1991, my birthday year, in San Antonio, Texas, Michael White, 22 years old, police found White's body in the front yard of an abandoned downtown home. Oh, wow. Resendez also confessed to the murder in September 2001 and drew a map of the crime scene and said that he killed White because he was a homosexual. Oh, wow. Police concluded in April 2006 that Resendez did in fact kill White, who was bludgeoned to death with a brick. See, he snapped. Yeah. That snapped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His fourth and fifth victim was on March 23, 1997, in Ocala, Florida. Jesse Howell, 19 years old, Howell was bludgeoned to death with an air hose coupling and left beside the railroad tracks. An air hose? Yeah. It was, it's, um... It was something that was connected to the train. Oh, okay. In the back of the train. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. His fiance, Wendy Vaughn Huben, 16-year-old, was raped, strangled, suffocated manually, and with duct tape, and buried in a shallow grave in Sumter County, Florida. Jesus. In July 1997, in Colton, California, so now he's on the West Coast, so he's just... He was down South, but now he's on the West it's Coast. He's on a murder spree, yeah. man. And unidenti- the train will take him. Like. Yep, yeah. An unidentified man that still unidentified transient was beaten to death with a piece of plywood in a rail yard. Resendez is considered the prime suspect in this case. Jeez. In August 29th of 1997 in Lexington, Kentucky, Christopher Mayer, 21 years old, Mayer was a University of, of Kentucky student walking along nearby railroad tracks with his girlfriend. Holly Dunn, Holly Dunn Pendleton, P- Pendleton, when the two were attacked by Resendez, who bludgeoned Mayer to death with a 52-pound rock, Resendez raped and severely beaten Pendleton, who nearly died. Pendleton, the only known survivor of an attack by Resendez, went to appear on the Biography Channel television programs, I Survived. Oh, and shit. F- and 48 Hours, Live to Tell. He beat them. He beat her boyfriend with a fifty-two pound rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you even? I don't know. That's how do you I, even <laughs> let somebody hit? How do, first of all, how do you use a fifty-two pound rock as a weapon? That feels like something maybe if you drop it on a person who's asleep. Right. Yeah. Sure. But like, how do you wield a fifty-two pound rock? Like, how do you swing that or sneak up on somebody? You know what, man? When this guy's near train tracks. He just is like a superhero. Man. Yeah. It, it really is like a Jason kind of thing. Like that, the picture you painted with that, where they're like just a, a couple out walking, yep. they just happen to be walking past the train tracks, and just as they walk past, the train pulled up, mm-hmm. and he saw there his victim. Go. You know? And it was like, for us, we know he liked to do his crimes near the train railroad tracks, yeah. the train tracks. But they weren't thinking. But that, them, yeah. they don't know that. Yeah. And then when you just bring that up, it's like the train comes, and then like 
he hops off and the train keeps on going and mm. then like when the train leaves he just pops up behind the train yep <laughs> train comes train goes out of frame yeah there. yep Shadow. and then like he's like Johnny Unitas is a uh, 52 pound rock <laughs> and just like that is <laughs> I don't know how he killed him but he definitely did not throw a 52 pound rock at this man from yards away but I don't I even mean, know how you sneak up I don't even I mean and again until the day that it happens to me for me talking shit about it I don't think that somebody could sneak up on me and kill me with a fit. I mean, I feel like I hear him like when that moment where you got to pick it up to use it to. Uh, I feel like you hear like a, uh, you know, like something. I mean, a fifty. That that must be an exaggeration by whoever was writing it. Maybe they got into pounds a, maybe they got into a fight first. Yeah, that maybe, makes more yeah. sense. Fifty-two pound rock. He beats you up. He gets you in that mounted position where he's over top of you, uh, and he's like, "Oh shit, a rock!" Picks the rock up, drops it on your face. That's cool. But to say he attacked you with a fifty-two pound rock. That's crazy. That's like saying, uh, and then he attacked him with a, a dumbbell that had two 45-pound plates on both sides. It's like, you're telling me that he used this? That's such a feat of One strength. Hand. Yeah, yeah, like, that's just, that's just. That's and just, a rock you can't, like, it's not a handle. Yeah, that's what so I'm saying. Can... Like, you have to use both hands to, like, wield it and swing it around. Like, it, it's not a prime. It's not a, it doesn't seem like the ideal weapon for murder. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so she was on programs. I survived and 48 hours lived to tell. And the ID Channel series, Dates from Hell. I mean... I'm going to have to watch uh, yeah. that I survived. I, it, I it's, it. it's on YouTube. Um, yeah, she was on ID Channel series, Dates from Hell, Episode 8, A Killer Night. And her story was told, on the, <laughs> told in the UK newspaper, The Guardian. Uh, currently, she helps other victims of rape, sexual assault, and crime. She also founded Holly's House in her native Evansville, Indiana, to benefit those victims of rape, Sexual assault and the crime as well as working closely with the the organization Rain. That's beautiful. I always like that when when stories. I mean, I don't like that people get raped and attacked and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But when a person doesn't let the fact that they were a victim of something, they don't let that turn them into a victim, and they you know turn that yeah. moment it's into strength yep. and they help people. I think is something really beautiful about yep. that. Holly's house is also very clever. And I'm not being sarcastic that time, but Killer Knight is not clever at all. It's not. It's, it, was, it was. It was okay at best. <laughs> so on October fourth, nineteen ninety eight, in Hughes Spring, Texas, back in Texas, um, Le- Leafy Mason, eighty one year old, Mason was beaten to death with an antique flat iron oh. by Resendez, who entered through a window. The Kansas, the Kansas City. Southern rail line was 50 yards, which is 45 meters outside her door. So, this so was, he just hops right off the train and yep. whatever's near. If you live, basically, if you were a victim of his, it's just because you were within the vicinity of these train tracks when he got off. So he can get out of there. Yeah. Yep. Hop right back on. Yep. What if he even, it's like a, he's so quick, he gets off the train, does it, and get he's able to like, not have to wait around for the next train. That would be insane. He's able to catch like the last caboose of the train or run. And get back to the train after the murder. And hop on the back of it. And then now you people really can't find you because you're just <laughs> killing people. You are you out of town before the body even hits the ground. He changing identities. He he like they say he cut his hair. He he wears glasses. He you know use fake. I don't know. They use fake facial hair, but yeah, they they oh, say he wow, changes facial hair. That'd be crazy. So on December tenth, nineteen ninety eight, in Carl, Georgia. Fanny Whitney Bayers, eighty one year old, resented. Res- 
Resendez is suspected in the death of Bayers, who was found bludgeoned to death with a with a tire rim in her home, which was located near the CSX Transportation Railroad tracks. A Lexus- she got killed by a tire rim? Yeah. So maybe this guy did. Maybe he did kill that guy with a rock then. He, I mean, that's crazy. How do you even turn that into a weapon? Against an 81-year-old woman, that's yeah. different though. Yeah. But still, like, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, so he it was located near the CSX trans, Transportation Railroad tracks. A Lexington uh, couple was charged in the the Barrow County murder, but Resendez admitted to the FBI agent that he killed Bears, according to authorities. December 17, 1998, West University Place, Texas, Claudia Benton, 39-year-old Benton, a pediatric neurologist at the Bayer College of Medicine was raped, stabbed, and bludgeoned repeatedly with a statue after Resendez entered her home near the Union Pacific Railroad tracks. Police found Benton's, Benton's Jeep Cherokee in San Antonio and found Resendez's fingerprints on the steering column. At that time of the murder, Resendez had a warrant for his arrest for burglary, but not yet for murder. So his 11th and 12th victim was on May 2nd, 1999 in, in Waymar, Texas, Norman J. Cernick, 46-year-old, and Karen Cernick, who was 47 years old. The Cernicks were bludgeoned to death by a sledgehammer in a, in a per, personage of the United Church of Christ where Norman Cernick was a pastor. The building was located adjacent to the Union Pacific Railroad. Right, right off. Yep. The Cernic's red Mazda was found in San Antonio three weeks later, and fingerprints linked their cases with the Claudia Benton murder. So he's leaving fucking fingerprints all over the place. He, I, he doesn't even care. He's also so aggressive. Like, the way that he's killing people is, like, bludgeoning, beating to death, tire yeah. rims and yeah. rocks and just I feel like pipes pretty much from a whatever, train. Whatever whatever's can, near. Yep. He t- it's like he, he gets off, hop on his train. I guess whatever houses he think is more vulnerable than others, I'm guessing. Go in there, do what he got to do. Sit there, eat, watch some TV. Train's coming? Okay, well, I'm, I'm, back a, on. I'm, a, I'm not going to walk. I'm going to take this car, drive, or whatever the fuck he does. Yeah. And I'm going to hop on the next train. Wow. So he went from, like, he went from, like, te- Florida to Texas to, to Kentucky, California right? to Kentucky back down to Texas. His last couple were all, his last, like, Five or six were in Texas. Texas, So on June fourth, nineteen ninety nine, in Houston, Texas, Noami Dominguez, who was twenty six years old, a school teacher at Houston Independent School District's the Benjamin Franklin Elementary School, was bludgeoned to death with a pickaxe in her apartment near the railroad tracks. Seven days later, her white Honda Civic was discovered by state troopers on the International Bridge of Del Rio, Texas. On June 4, 1999, same day, in Fayette County, Texas, Josephine Convicta, 73-year-old, Convicta was killed while sleeping in her farmhouse near Weimar, where the the Cernics were murdered, by a blow to the head from the same pickaxe used to kill Dominguez. Resendez attempted to steal Convicta's car but could not find the keys. Must have really liked that pickaxe. T- took it. He just kept him. Yeah. yeah. So his last two victims on June 15, 1999, Gorham, Illinois, 
George Mobar Sr., who was 80 years old, and Karen Frederick, who was 52 years old. Resendez shot George Mober in the head with a shotgun and then clubbed Carolyn Frederick to death with the same shotgun. Where'd he get a gun now? I don't know. Wow. And this is a shotgun. This is not like a pistol. Yeah. (laughs) The house was located only 100 yards away from the railroad tracks. Later, police found Mober's red pickup truck in in Cairo, Illinois, which is located 60 miles of southern Gorham, in addition the Jackson, the Jackson County Sheriff's Office found fingerprints and Mulber's ransacked home positively identified Resendez as the killer. And it says Resendez confessed to seven other killings as well, um, which he said which he, he said took place in Mexico. Wow. Not a shy guy. No. Mm-mm. So he he just told he told everything. He's like, I'm caught and but at the end it's it's pretty it's pretty obvious why he went on and basically he wanted forgiveness. At the end, because uh, he got executed, so he wanted, you know. Yeah, yeah. found God or whatever. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, whatever. So police tracked down Resendez's sister, Manuela. She feared that her brother might kill someone else or be killed by the FBI. So she agreed to help the police. A Texas Ranger, Drew Carter, accompanied by Manuela and a spiritual guide, met up with Resendez on a bridge connecting, a bridge connecting El Paso, Texas, with Sadad. Ujeres Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Resendez surrendered to That's Carter. That's where they come from. Yeah. <laughs> That's where they come from. During a court appearance, Resendez accused Carter of lying under oath because his his family were under the impression that he would be spared the death penalty. However, Resendez, <laughs> Why would <they> be <laughs> Resendez ultimate fate would be decided by the jury, not Carter. So he thought he was going to be like, nah, man, you come with me. It'll be all right. It'll be man. all right. You're just a little sick, man. We'll help you out. He's like, what? What? You told me I wasn't going to get the death penalty. Stupid. I don't make those decisions, yeah. brother. <laughs> it's like uh, first forty eight. Same thing they do. Yep. Help me help you, man. I I want you. I want. I want to get you out of this, man. And they're like, put the cuffs on him. Get this piece of shit out of my sight. And they're like, I thought we were friends, <laughs> man. Like, yeah, right. Get this piece of shit out of my face. Yep. So in 1999, former Texas Attorney General Jim Maddox, wary of the controversy miring the many confessions and recantations by the Henry Lucas, by the Henry Lucas case, remarked of Resendez. I hope, quote, I hope they don't start pinning on him every crime that happens near the railroad tracks. Resendez will be tried and sentenced to death for Benton's murder. So you know about Henry Lucas, right? He was a serial killer. No. I don't know if you heard it. Okay. Well, I'm going to do that on the next affirmative. Right sure. Now, so. Yeah, I don't know Henry Lucas. Uh, so, his mental health on June 21st, 2006, a Houston judge ruled Resendez was mentally competent to be executed. Upon hearing the judge ruling, Resendez said, quote, I don't believe in death. I know the body is going to waste, is going to go to waste, but me as a person, I'm eternal. I'm wow. going to be alive forever. Wow. He also described himself as half man, half angel, and told psychiatrists he couldn't be executed because he didn't believe he could die. I don't think that's how that works, <laughs> but statement statements like that, like the above, have led specialists to conclude that Resendez was not competent to be executed. They just wanted to get him the fuck out of here. Yeah, and <laughs> the words of bilingual psychiat- psychiatrist who evaluated Resendez in two occasions in, tw- in 2016, quote, delusions. 
had completely taken over Resende's thought process. That's pretty clear, man. He's going around brutalizing people, so yeah, that guy wasn't in his right state of mind. I don't think you can do what he did in your right state of mind. No. So despite an appeal pending with the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, Resende's death warrant was signed for the murder of Claudia Benton. He was housed in Polonsky Unit in the West Livingston, Texas. He was, execu- he was executed in the Huntsville Unit in Huntsville, Texas on June 27, 2006 by lethal injection. In his final statement, Resende said, quote, I want to ask if it, if it is in your heart to forgive me. You don't have to. I know I allowed the devil to rule my life. I just ask you to forgive me and ask the Lord to forgive me for what allowing the devil to decide to deceive to, to deceive me. I thank God for having patience in me. I don't deserve to cause you pain. You don't you do, you do not deserve this. I deserve uh, what I'm getting. Quote. Resendez uh, was pronounced dead at 8:05 p.m. on June 27, 2006. And Claudia Benton's husband George was present at the at the execution and said Resendez was, quote, evil contained in a human form, a creature without a soul, no conscience, no sense, no sense of remorse, and never, no regard of human life. I don't think that does you better to go see that, man. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, really I don't wouldn't. think that that's like, I think that's what you want to see. And then, nah. and then you end up, you, you just saw a person die and you don't feel better. So now you got to walk around with that on, yeah. stained on your soul and in your memory, yeah. watching somebody fucking die. Uh, but you know he, he looks like in like one of his pictures where he's like in disguise he has like glasses on mm-hmm. he looks like a Mexican um Alvin from uh from the Cosby from the Cosby show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has like a little bush he's like light skin a little bit Sandra <laughs> uh, so that was my first what was his murder. name again Ahel Matarino Resendez Ahel Matarino Resendez yeah okay interesting well that was um very uh that guy was chaotic. Well, uh, Fran, um, really quickly, man, do you have the time? No, I gotta go, actually. Mm. Don't have the time well, you, today. you just don't have the time. Let me check really quick. Oh, it is. I know what time it is. I don't. Bye. And now, it's time for True Crime's Hottest Game Show. Frazzle. That's right, folks. It's time once again for another episode of a true crime's hottest game show, Frazzle Fran. You know what we try to do here. I take my partner in true crime and I look to frustrate, fluster, and frazzle him by giving him a riddle. A riddle. A what? A riddle. <laughs> By giving him a riddle. I'm not on trial here, man. Here, man. You are, okay? By giving him a riddle and seeing if he can solve it. If he does, he is victorious. If he fails, it brings me great joy. And also, everybody wins because we just get to see Fran try to, you know, how we get to see the inner working of, of Fran's brain. So, Fran, are you ready to play? No, man. I said I had to go. Well, I mean, you can't go until you play. The door's locked, so you're not going to get out until you answer the riddle, so... The, the choice is yours. We can. All right, let's go. I got all day. Let's get it. All right. <clears throat> Two girls ate dinner together. Mm-hmm. They both ordered iced tea. One girl drank them very fast. 
and had finished five of them in the time it took the other to drink just one. The girl who drank one died while the other survived. All of the drinks were poisoned. How did the girl who drank the most survive? Got read it again? Okay. Two girls ate dinner together. They both ordered iced tea. One girl drank them very fast and finished them and finished five of them in the time it took the other girl to drink just one. The girl who drank just one died while the other survived. All of the drinks were poisoned. How did the girl who drank the most survive? So one girl had one mm. and the other girl had five. Yep. And she drank five in the same amount of time she drank one? Yep. And you said it was, what is it, iced tea, lemonade? Mm, iced tea. Iced tea. And they were both poisoned? All of the drinks that were drank that night were poisoned on both sides. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with... She drank five at the same time as the other one drank one. The same amount of time. How long did it take for the first one to drink it? Did they say? No. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. <laughs> And what was the question again? Excuse me? What was it again? What was what? The end. What was the end part? How did the girl who oh, drank how did the most... Oh, how did she get... How did the girl who drank the most survive? Five, okay. How did the girl that drank the most... So that's the one that had five of them, right? Um, because the girl that had one ate dinner and the other one didn't eat dinner final answer yeah let's go with that that is wrong you failed the answer is the girl who drank one in the time that it took for the girl to drink five, the ice melted. The poison was in the ice cubes, not in the iced tea. The ice melted in the first girl's drink because she took all the time to drink just one. The ice melted, then releasing the poison into the iced tea. She died. The other girl was drinking her tea so fast, the ice didn't have a chance to melt, and she survived. Nope, I wouldn't have got it. got to be some more details of that one. I don't like that I don't one. know what more details that you need, whack. man. I know they had it's ice in them. Because it's iced tea. But that don't... Really? Are we really going to do that? We're going to do that right here on the show. Yeah, man. So iced tea means... That it has ice in it? Really? Yeah. No. Uh, it's iced no. tea. No, man. All right. Sorry. For, apparently, your family friend... That is bullcrap. That doesn't do you, do you, when you get hot tea, you expect it to be hot, right? Don't make call it hot tea. People do call it hot tea. Can I get a tea? Like, would you like it iced or hot? Oh, no, man. Well, yeah, well, iced tea has ice in it. Apparently, like Fran has a problem with that. That's just like that bullcrap of... The car being convertible with the windows up. Hey, man. That's bullcrap, Hey, man. man. It's called a riddle. You made the, you wish you wrote those riddles? Terrible riddles. <laughs> I wish I was good enough to write. River's so clever as to frustrate and frazzle my partner in true crime. I'm out of here, man. Well, folks, uh, <laughs> I guess those first couple of uh, frazzle friends were a fluke because the streak is dead and buried. Fran has failed once again. He no, looks it ain't. Like what a am fool. I? What he am I, two egg. or three? 
Yeah. Sure, if that makes you feel better, man. 23, you know, 23 man. Uh, he has egg all over his face. What a loser. Uh, you know, so it's been another episode of Frazzle Fran that he's failed. Um, this has been another episode of Affirmative Murder, of course. I've been Alvin Williams alongside my partner in true crime, Lou's <coughs> uh, Francel Evans. <laughs> Catch and next time. We'll see you guys sure. next week. <laughs>